0: We are talking about this glorious grey cat, charcoal cat, um, Iskra's cat, <laughs> pretty much a son, <laughs> and he's just staring at me. Hello. um, Sorry. Uh, welcome to the Perthian Chronicles, our fifth stroll along Perth's Fringe World Festival. My name is certainly Ryan Rano, and today we are going to be looking at a show that is most certainly not afraid to strip down and tell all. Femme is a fusion, oh no, he's in my way, I can't read, (laughs) that was a fusion of intimate storytelling and performance art curated by veteran burlesque performer Lola Cherry Cola. Each night, a group of performers will explore themes of physical, mental and emotional health, asking what it truly means to be healthy and how society shuns us when we are unhealthy. I'm joined by one of the performers and contributing artists of Femme, the designer, scholar, writer, pin-up model, and burlesque, well, previous burlesque artist, Ishkra Khan. Welcome.
1: Thank you for having me, Ryan.
0: Now, Ishkra, what is burlesque? Because when I think of burlesque, I see big feathers, big feather butlers, good-looking people, barely clothed, and doing some provocative or naughty or sexy things
1: burlesque has seen many it's shape-shifted over the years you are right in parts and i wouldn't say you're wrong in others um historically even the word burlesque apparently comes from the italian word berlare which means to turn on its head so back in the day when it started it was a way for people to i guess um subvert normality uh back when it started ages ago century, maybe a century ago my burlesque history is very rough at the moment um they would be houses where women would at in that time standard wear really small dresses or skirts that would panel skirts that would shift up and down and they'd show an ankle or a leg sometimes the full bottom depending on what part of like the history you want to look at and at that idea at that time it was uh, to shun the very christian values of modesty and shame and um i would like to pretend and think i know a lot more about that history than i do i like i said i'm very very rough with my history at the moment it's been a while since i've picked up a burlesque history book so i apologize <laughs> if i get the dates wrong but um from my knowledge, in Western burlesque back then, it was predominantly run by men and it afforded opportunities for women who may have been on the fringes of society at the time, either because they were widowed or unwed mothers, to, to make a living. Um, I will not go so far as to say it was definitely feminist, but the current form, like, format of burlesque has definitely taken on the feminist flavour um and even within that resurgence we are again seeing like a different kind of feminism take over burlesque um i see a lot more diversity a lot more inclusivity of uh, of women of all backgrounds races shape um ability so when you say you know it's about people sexy people doing sexy things definitely i guess what it's what's changed over time is who decides what sexy is um, what we ca- categorize as sexy and what those sexy things are so you know a lot of people think you know it's all feather fan dances giant martini glasses elaborate costumes yes that's definitely a part of it but it's not the entirety it's more like I'm saying it's like a side dish on this giant buffet that is burlesque so um, these days you've got a lot more variety with burlesque you've got your carnival style burlesque where people do things like sword soloing um, you've got burlesque performers who are using traditional dance forms like tap charleston more classic and then you've got performers that just literally live up to what Burlare, the whole context of turning things upside down on its head um, performers that do a lot of gender defying work people who um, I don't know like stick it to the man I've seen lots of interesting burlesque come out of America that has to do with their current presidency burlesque has become political it has become a political space um, I guess people who are new to burlesque, who've seen just one or two shows, they kind of forget that there's this entire history, um, which at that time was very political. And so it is the, um, it is definitely the history that influences the present, but it's also the present speaking to itself when people are performing. Um, and burlesque definitely has a very interesting future ahead of it. I don't think it's going to go anywhere anytime soon. So the legacy of burlesque has always been turning things upside down, turning people's expectations left to right. And um, it's happening now still. That's what
0: I I, I did not know come from that Italian word, to turn things...
1: Well, that's apparently one of the... the, That's where one of the ideas comes from. Um, I read it in one of the books. I think the book I read that was um, Dirty Pretty Things, I want to call it. Um, It was a book into stripping, the history of stripping. Um, Another funny thing, an interesting fact. I think the word for performers back then was echadisius I don't know if that's how we pronounce it um but it literally meant somebody who takes their clothes off um so I I want to say that's how you pronounce it but that's what people used to be called burlesque performers used to be called back in the 20s and everything um so it definitely does have its history in stripping and one of the things that really annoys me is when people come up to a burlesque performer and go oh but you're so classy you're not a stripper Burlesque has always... Wait, let me reiterate this in case you're listening. Burlesque has always had a history of stripping. Burlesque performers have always been part of the adult industry. They have always been kin of sex workers. There has never been respectability politics. And we should not introduce respectability politics into something like burlesque. To say, oh, you know, you're classy because you've got rhinestones and you dance on a fringe stage... That's incredibly problematic in itself because if you look at the history of burlesque, where burlesque came from, it came from stripping. You are a stripper. I don't care if you've got rhinestones and someone fancies making a costume or you you praise at the altar of Dita Von Teese. Dita Von Teese was a stripper. They're all strippers. We are all strippers. There's no such thing as clean and nice and classy. Like those terms just bother me. I know people are paying compliments, but this is this is a rant I had to have out of the way early on. Burlesques have always been strippers. We've always done things our way. But burlesques are strippers. Strippers are can be burlesques. Not all strippers are burlesques, but burlesques are definitely strippers.
0: So the qualities of burlesque, the things that are what I'm really attaching is because it is quite, speaking as a performer, it is very brave, in my opinion, to strip, to be naked. I'm a bit, as speaking as an artist, I always find the choice of being naked on a stage a bit confronting, mm-hmm. it is for, for me, in my experience. But that idea of stripping down and telling the truth... And with burlesque.
1: Gosh, this is going on like 11 years ago. So just to clarify, I no longer perform um, as a burlesque performer in Perth. I have many reasons for that. I don't really want to go into them at this point in time. Um, but when I was maybe 19 years old, I had the good fortune of watching performers from the newly formed Sugar Blue Burlesque troupe at the bakery and I think the performer I watched at the time was this beautiful woman called Adora Derrier, That was her burlesque name. And she was doing this amazing routine that just took me, like, well, I want to say took me back, but I was never there. But it just evoked this beauty and opulence of times bygone. And I was already at that point into vintage and old things, but I'd never gone to a burlesque show before. And I was like, you know, I'd really like to do that. I'd really like to be able to learn to dance and have this audience captive. I just really loved the way the audience was looking at her with awe and admiration. And there was pin drop silence. Like, you know, you would think that someone's taking off their clothes. You should be making all this. But these people were just mesmerized by how beautifully she was performing. And I'm like, I want that grace and that beauty and the people staring at me. I'd really like people to stare at me. Um, so I... Basically did some research. I read a lot of books. Um, At the time, YouTube was a new thing. And um, I looked up videos. There wasn't really much on there. I have ordered a couple of tapes. And there was, at the time, there were these, um, I think, I forgot. I think Mad Max or Myra Films was doing background like videos um, from their archives. And there was one called Varieties. And it was an old sketch comedy variety show from America that featured Betty Page who was a famous fetish model. And so I ordered that tape from online and I watched it and I saw that there were all these performers, there were comedians and there were singers and then there were these girls who were just telling these little stories and skits and at the end of it, they got naked. And I'm like, oh, I really enjoy the storytelling part. I guess the next step is just to get naked um, and somehow, like being nineteen, and you know, you you're kind of very self-conscious. I'm like, I don't know if I can do that because the girls in those videos were very slim and slender and pale and beautiful, Anglocentrically. And being like a, a rather curvy, you know, a brown woman, I'm like, I don't know if I can do that. I don't know if there's a place for me. But then meeting other performers along the way, I you know, I just flick them. A, an email as you would back then and be like, Hey, I'd love to grab a cup of coffee and I'd love to talk to you about burlesque. And, um, this lovely performer called Clara cupcakes actually invited me to have lunch with her at the moon cafe. And she's like, you know, what do you do? I'm like, I really want to do what you do. Don't forget about what I do now, but I'd like to do what you do. Um, and she just explained how she was experimenting with comedic burlesque. And I'm like, Whoa, stop. So comedy is a part of burlesque. And she's like, yeah. There's a lot of comedy in burlesque. It's really funny. You don't have to be sexy if you want to do burlesque. Maybe you have a funny way of taking your clothes off. Maybe the punchline is not the nudity, but how you got to the nudity. And that sat really interesting. I'm like, oh, you know, that's that's interesting. I'd really like to experiment with that. So as time progressed... I met more performers. Some of them weren't even using classical music. They weren't even using old tracks. They were dancing to things like, you know, The Cure. Or there was a performer um, from the UK on this website that used to exist because we did everything from websites back then. <laughs> the website was called 21st Century Burlesque, I think. And they had a list. I think it still exists. They had a list of um, all these performers from different countries. And there was a performer called Beatrix von Bourbon. And I remember seeing that she did a beautiful routine and she said it to Tori Amos. And I was a huge Tori Amos fan. And I'm like, wow. So there's a performer. She's doing a beautiful routine. She's tattooed. And she's performing to modern music. So the more I delved into the, the modern burlesque, I realized burlesque is whatever you want to make it. It doesn't have to be necessarily sexy. It can be funny. It doesn't have to be classic. It can be very modern. And having all this happen to me in the space of three or four months, I'm like, all right, I'm going to prepare my first routine, and I'm going to have to find somewhere to perform it. Therein was a the problem. A lot of the burlesque shows back then, because it was so new in Perth, were classical burlesque shows, and they'd happen at car shows, or they would be, like, showcases for the students. But there really wasn't much happening Um, As far as neo-burlesque goes, which is what it was called, like new burlesque. Um, There was a lot happening in America at the time and since the 90s. And I was like, you know, Velvet Hammer, there was a lot of different shows happening. Chaz Royale was running shows. I don't know where any of these people are now because I really am not in touch with the burlesque scene anymore. But um, I was like, what if we did something like that in Perth? So my partner at the time was a drummer in um, a really well-known rockabilly band And I threw the idea at him. It's like, hey, you know, what if we could put on a variety show and your band could play and I could get a couple of girls who do, you know, neo burlesque. And we have friends who run, you know, little businesses like some of them make fascinators and some of them make corsets. And what if we brought all these people who are in different social groups, but bring them together at this one event They can meet each other, they can sell their wares, they can share the love of vintage and pin-up, music and burlesque. It would be a great idea. And um, he looked at me and he's like, how are we going to pull this? How are we going to do this? And I'm like, I don't know. I guess you just got to give it a shot. So we gave it a shot and funnily enough, that one show turned into four different shows within a year before we kind of like hung up the tassels for that one. Um, And it was called Varieties after the original Varieties shows. And we'd have people just approach us on our MySpace. This is how old this is. And they'd be like, hey, we are a punk band from Perth. And we'd love to be at this thing because we noticed you haven't got a punk band. Yeah, come along. You can be the opener. Or there was this band um, that was like a Psychobilly band, and they were called the Blazing Entrails, and uh, they were like, you know, we're experimenting with this thing, it's Psychobilly, can we be on the, and we were like, yeah, sure, you can come along. Uh, We were joined by bands like Our Bats, uh, Minute 36, there were a lot of bands that just messaged us, be like, hey, we like this, you have got your performers, you've got your performance art, you've got your poetry, we'd love to be part of this. And so that one tiny show turned into a series, as I said, of like six shows that we did that year. And they had different themes and different names. My favorite was one we did on Valentine's Day called Fuck Forever. Um, And that was my favorite show because I got to meet this lovely lady who had just moved from Melbourne. um, And she goes by the name of Vivian Marlowe. And we struck this amazing friendship. And um, to this day, like I... I can't thank my stars enough for meeting her through this, this whole varieties racket. Um, and she said that she wanted to try burlesque. And I'm sorry, it's not very, like, you know, it's not very neo. I still do traditional burlesque. But her traditional burlesque was so dark and morbid. So she'd, you know, do her 1920s Charleston stuff, but it would be set to this really dark song. Mm. And I'm like, now this is classic. But it's dark and morbid and not... Ha- this is So then I realized there's even more forms of burlesque than I can even imagine. Like, they, for as many performers, there's that many forms of burlesque. And then from there, we collaborated with other people what Twisted Vaudeville Circus. Um, I met other performers, like the lovely Duchess Silk. She would do geekabilly performances where she'd, you know, dress up as a zombie or run things on horror movies. There was a lady called Roxy monoxide who do stuff that was really more performance gorlesque. She called it covered in blood. Um, I once did a performance that was about honor killing and I didn't know what to like make of it. I'm like, it was like basically about how, yeah, it's great that I can do this here, but women in other countries get put to death for a lot less. And to acknowledge that privilege, that you have the privilege of being in a safe space to perform, but you can't do this at home. Um, And I remember a reviewer came and um, they reviewed the show and they referred to what I did as burkalesque because I strip out of a burka. And I'm like, okay, this has become something even weirder. Um, and calling it burka like I don't know whether I'd still call it that, but it was interesting that you'd think the word burka and burlesque coming together is the most unlikely pairing. the way that people view muslim women is as if we don't have our own agency we can't be sexual or sexy sex is apparently as my aunt once put it when she was explaining sex to me when i was 13 or 14 sex is something that happens to women and i'm like what do you mean something that happens to women so apparently it's your wifely duty it's something that happens to you it's for procreation so i don't know what it's like now in pakistan i'm the way I see from Facebook, a lot of women on the ground there, grassroots level, are pushing for them to be recognized as people who just enjoy sex. And to be, that's okay. They're lifting that taboo around it. But when I lived there in the 90s and 2000s, sex was not talked about, even with your female friends. You know, there was a little shyness about it. There was a, oh, I don't want people to know we're talking about it because I don't want them to think that I'm that kind of girl. And I remember thinking like that too when I was younger. And now I'm proud to say I am that kind of girl. I am that kind of person. Sex doesn't scare me. It doesn't, it's not a dirty word. And it's not just for procreation and you can enjoy it and it doesn't have to be romantic. It can just be because you enjoy it. And saying that is liberating and making jokes about it is liberating. Um, And it's funny because my mom, I told her I was doing a comedy spot and she's like, Oh, I didn't know you were funny. And I'm like, well, I don't know if I'm funny, but I'm hoping I'm funny. And she's like, what are you going to talk about? I'm like, mom, sex, sexy, sex, sex. And she's like, sounds good. That'll definitely be funny if you're talking about your sex life. Um, and it was just so refreshing to be able to say that word in front of my mom, because the way we look at our parents, at least in from my background, we look at them as if they're not sexual beings, not entities that have desires or have anything uh, to do with sex you just think ew my parents did a thing and they made me and it was for no other reason and I think that's such a sad way to look at it like obviously I'm not saying go home and imagine your parents like doing the horizontal cha-cha but um our parents are sexual beings and you know it's not like I remember somebody thinking my parents had sex once and they made me and that's it and I think that's such a, like I said, such a sad way to look at sex, like it's dirty or disgusting or something. And so, most of my comedy, because now I'm making my comedy debut at Femme, is around talking about my sex life as firstly a bisexual woman who has dated both men and women while navigating this whole faith being muslim thing while navigating an immigrant identity because i moved here to australia when i was 16 so that explains the weird accent guys in case you're wondering why i don't sound Australian, that's why i sound weird um but where are you really from though Pakistan has a rich history of like performance, performance art. Burlesque was a part of it. Um, and they've got a huge music scene and they've got a really good rap scene and hip-hop scene. Like People just assume that we don't do arts and culture the way the West do, does it. That's true. We do it our own way. But it's definitely existent. Um, I guess that's why I'm really active on social media is to go, hey, we have that too. You know, People of color can be part of these what are considered eurocentric things like burlesque is not just for white bodies on a a stage it's for everybody um comedy is just not a male thing how many times have you heard women are just not inherently funny ah for god's sake like you know we've got to have a sense of humor if we put up with all the things that we put up with um for every art form, the boundaries of gender are just ridiculous. Gender should not be a hinder. Gender shouldn't be a thing first of all. I believe in the fluidity of gender. This whole binary thing needs to go first and foremost. Now I'm rambling. Ah. Um, but burlesque is the same. There should not be boundaries to any performance art on the basis of race or size or ability, even with like there are performers that are out there who perform um, and they do entire burlesque performances in wheelchairs. And they do entire performances based around I can't remember her name now, but there's a performer who basically does an amazing floor routine and then moves onto her chair and then spins. I'm going to post her link onto my Instagram. I'm so sorry, I should have probably written it down. But there's no boundary to performance art. The boundaries are created by people who go well. Burlesque has to be sexy, and then sexy falls into what does society think is sexy. Mm-hmm. Society has a very narrow idea of what beautiful and what sexy is. And I'm so glad and so proud to see that women are taking that back. That they're like, I don't want the bloody skinny tea. You can keep your fucking detox to yourself. Mm. You can keep your your, um, ideas about beauty to yourself. I don't want that. I want to do what I want to do. Mm. Um, It's great to see people subverting gender norms. It's so great to see that there are performers out there. There are drag queens and there are drag kings putting limits on performances based on what the idea of sexy is. That's just, it's not a part of burlesque anymore. I, I would love to see a lot more bodies on that stage performing um, that aren't necessarily in that Dita category of category, the pale, slim, skinny, white, dark hair, Blue-eyed, I'd like to see more variety in Perth. And it is going that way. We are going that way, Ryan. Hopefully in in five years' time, we'll see even more variety in performers. When I started, there was maybe two performers of color, not including myself. Um, and now we have so many wonderful, wonderful performers of color. Uh, it's just heartwarming to see that. Um, I go to their shows every chance I get because it's nice to see myself represented on that stage. And I guess that's why we are doing something like Femme, because it's about mental health, it's about your physical and sexual health, but it's about conversation so that women don't feel like they're the only one, like people, why you just use the term women, I'm contradicting myself, so that people don't feel alone in what they're experiencing. Um, We have this weird stigma attached to, for example, STIs. It's really quite, it's concerning because, the, when people stigmatize something people other people won't go and get help so say sdi checks i work in a tattoo shop and we have these forms where you have to fill out and you have to let us know if you have an sdi or have had it's just part of the protocol that the health department has for us in that standard form and the number of times i have people sit there and laugh and be like i'm not disgusting i'm not gross oh you No, i don't have that and i'm like it's no different than getting a rash or it has to do with your sex life. Sure. But that is assuming that sex is dirty and it's a punishment. you getting an STI when in actual fact, people who are in long-term relationships can have STIs or have contracted them. It's not that hard to, to get, um, to contract an STI. And there shouldn't be stigma around it. It should be a situation of like, you know, I'm going to go get a check. And then I'm going to go to the doctor and if there is like a treatment, I'm going to go through that. And I should be able to tell people how I feel about that, whether that's a case of, you know, I feel a little embarrassed. That's okay. That happened to me once. You'll get through this. Or that's all right. I have a friend who went through something similar. This is her doctor. Go see that doctor. But the way that people talk about sex and then things like sexual infections, STIs, that conversation isn't happening because people are ashamed. And people don't want to talk about their sexual health. Uh, There are lots of groups on Facebook now where people can anonymously post, hey, you know, I had my period, there was this giant clot. Sorry, Ryan. Actually, I'm not sorry, Ryan. I had this giant clot. I don't know what's happening. Is this normal? And women go like, yeah, babe, here's a picture of what was in my underwear this morning. And it's like, and then Facebook removes it. And it's just that censorship around women's bodies or like oh, bodies not women's bodies i'm i'm learning every day that just you, because you have a vagina doesn't mean you are a woman vaginas do not tie into gender so please excuse me if i make that conflation i'm unlearning unhelpful social things um but health is important being able to have constructive dis- discussions about Health is important, whether that's mental or physical health. And sexual health as part of physical health should be something people can talk about. Uh, Burlesque addresses it, comedy addresses it sometimes in unhelpful ways when people make jokes about, oh yeah, something about catching AIDS. And it's just... Comedy needs to change a little. We need to stop with the jokes about STDs. It's not funny. It's really not funny. Mm-hmm. You wouldn't joke about cancer. You wouldn't joke about someone dying of a particular. Can we stop with the AIDS jokes? And all the... it's not funny. Instead, it would be nice to have safe spaces in performance art where we can talk to people about our experiences and go, you're not alone in this and you're not dirty and you're not filthy for having this. And sometimes it just happens, you know, just like you catch a cold. You're not going to tell them, oh, you're filthy. That's why you caught a cold, because you're filthy. You hang out with people on the bus. That's why you got that cold. You're filthy. That's just so judgy. Like, can we stop judging people about their health? And it's getting better for mental health in certain ways. Where when I was a teenager, when you talk about you know feeling depressed, someone would come onto your MySpace and be like, "Why don't you go kill yourself, you emo?" Or like, "Yeah, here's, yeah. It's, do you remember those emo I, I, memes?" I oh, uh, it's not down the road; it's across the street. Do it right. And so many young people from my high school and going to the first year of uni. They were going through so much. High school is such a difficult time. I feel for every high school student who's gone back to school. You're going to make it out alive. Your TE or ATAR, whatever the hell they call it, it's not very important. You'll still make it. And if you don't make it, you can come and do comedy with me. Because that's what I'm doing right now. Um... But it was such a difficult time, and people would be putting these things out like, I need help. And people would tell them to shut up, stop being an emo, stop being garbage, or you have nothing to be sad about. And now, slowly and surely, because those people were pushing, they're like, you know what, no, I'm going to talk about my mental health. The victims were pushing back going, no, I'm going to talk about how bad I feel or how sad I feel And in some cases, when those people didn't make it, their families had to talk for them. And like, because of how you treated them, they're not here with us, but I'm going to make noise on their behalf.
0: That's why I'm quite proud of being a Perth artist, because there there are shows coming up like um, Charlotte Otten's Let Me Finish, um, her her one woman show, Femina, that mm. wonderful cabaret. Uh, there are these shows coming along to talk about these issues, and you know. And let's face it, ladies and gentlemen, I am a white man. So, uh, and y- y- there are times where I am a bit squeamish, but then it's like, no, no, Ryan, be a human being, be an adult, and listen. Um, take into consideration so
1: you're not but isn't it strange that as women we have socially been conditioned to apologize for talking about how we feel mm. and i catch myself doing this all the time and this is why i apologize when i do this oh look i'm like doing an apology for an apology mm-hmm. how about that mm-hmm. but um Socially, we are conditioned to behave particular ways. So for those people who know me outside of Brian's interview, I just finished a Bachelor of Criminology and Justice. My minor is in youth work. Um, and a large part of my degree, we looked at so the way society forms people, particularly children, um, and how they grow up. And we specifically looked at how people became criminals. Um, I, a word that I don't like because... There's so much to unpack there. That's a different podcast altogether. One day I'll get my stuff together and actually make a podcast about society and how it messes people up. But just how society teaches us how we occupy space. As a woman, I feel like I'm constantly battling in my own head about occupying space. I'm sorry I'm boring you about this women stuff. Oh, wait. Wait women is it only women who deal with this because there's an entire binary like i'm sorry there's an entire spectrum of people between male and female it's not a binary so unlearning those things that i've been taught from a very young age and learning to be better and i think that's what it's about is you've got to learn to be better to evolve to um allow space for things to grow and change and if women keep apologizing or let me reiterate if people who are in less positions of privilege keep apologizing for occupying space we're not going to go anywhere and at the same time if people with privilege keep pushing back and going well i am not a bad person so why are you so i'm not a racist i'm like everyone by default is raised in this society that is racist that is sexist that is a heteronormative that is patriarchal. This is all called the karyarchy. Say it with me karyarchy.
0: Karyarchy.
1: K Y R I A R C H Y. Karyarchy. It's kairiarchy. the. Yes, I don't know if I'm pronouncing this correctly, but I do speak three languages, so I'm bound to get things wrong at some point. But the karyarchy is this, I guess, from my understanding of it, is this whole structure that supports sexism, racism, homophobia. Uh, transphobia, so all these things that are embedded in society from years and years and years uh, creates this all powerful structure that basically affects people who are not in positions of power. So wherever you are on that scale of privilege, where you have more power, there's always some, there's usually somebody above you and someone below you, and when people above you are putting the squeeze the way human nature works is we push people at the bottom and we scramble and we may, we oppress them and that's not helpful to anybody so when people say to me oh i don't like feminism because feminists hate men i'm like no tell me why you think feminists hate men oh well see i have this mate and like his wife wants like you know his wife wants him to not ha- see the kids and i think that's all because of feminism and i'm like you realize the reason why courts award Women Custody of children is because society has taught people that women are caregivers and that men are not. And that is something that you can blame the patriarchy on. And that is something that feminism is fighting against. So if you and I work together to change the assumption that only women can be mothers and mothering and even the term mother, that they're the only ones who have that warm feelings and look after children, then this will change as well. I have met far too many people in the vintage and pinup scene who get their jollies by making other people feel bad about themselves, by going around and going, oh, you know, I look like this, therefore I'm better than everybody else. And that bothers me. I know in a way, vintage, pinup, burlesque, it seems like a superficial thing, but it becomes that when we make it that, if we supported each other in what we want to do As our passion, as our hobby in the arts, it would be so much better if we didn't have tall poppy syndrome and, you know, say, oh, that person's just not, I don't want them to succeed because that means I won't succeed. And there's a lot of that in Perth, unfortunately, at the moment. I understand it's because we have a very small fledgling art industry. It's getting bigger, but you don't get anywhere by shit talking other people in the arts. Just let people be themselves and support them to support them as long as they're not impinging on someone else's rights. And that comes from having good parents who kind of support you and go, you know, it doesn't matter if you don't get like an A grade, you're still a good human being. There's more to you than your grades. Um, The first time I heard somebody say that to me was in year 11. It wasn't my parents. I was in year 11 at Shenton College. I had a political and legal studies teacher by the name of Mr. Hill. And I remember I didn't get an A in this assignment and it was the assignment that was going to make or break my grade for that year. I got a B and I just lost it. I got my paper and I started crying in this way that I only call ugly crying, where there's snot running down my nose. I was a goth back then, so all this eyeliner, I looked like a member of KISS. And he's like, what's wrong? I'm like, I got Like By one mark, like your referencing was off. But it's a good, grade. I'm like, no, it's a terrible, I'm a terrible human being. That's literally what came out of my mouth, Ryan. I'm a terrible human being. And he's like, looks at me and then sends everybody off to recess. He's like, look, Ms. Khan this is a bad grade to some but it's a good grade to me you've done really well it's a difficult this is how you talk it's a difficult difficult like it's course it's political and legal studies but you did really well considering how many subjects you're taking i'm like no i'm a terrible person he's like even if you are the worst student which by no means you aren't by no means the worst student in my class you're still a good human being your grade is not tied to you as a human being. And he just couldn't get it past him. Like, he just couldn't think that someone would tie so much value of their being as a human to a grade. And when I think about this now, it's like that hasn't left me. In so many ways, as a society, we've become a cult of busy you know the terms like girl boss and side hustle and we are always busy and it's almost as if we at least with women i feel that they feel they're not valuable if they aren't busy all the time have you ever thought that oh yeah when you say how are you going oh you know i've had meetings and my side hustle i'm doing this and this and this and we congratulate people oh that sounds so wonderful oh god i wish i was like you to me, I'm like, God, that sounds like hell. I'm glad you're happy. Are you happy? Mm-hmm. And no one ever asks these people, are you happy? Are you happy working yourself to death? Do you have to? Or is it just because you feel like you have to prove you're busy to be valued? And Lola talks about this. Well, she did talk about this in her um fringe show, um, Lola Cherry Cole's Friend Show from last year, or was it the year before? God, I've gone to so many fringes. And she talked about how she was working three jobs. And doing all these shows. And it was because she felt like she had to be busy all the time. And in the end, it made her so unwell physically and mentally. And I was sitting there watching her pour her heart out. And I was like, I was there. I was there when she was doing this. And I never asked her, how are you going? Why are you doing this? Do you need help? And I was just there. And I didn't, as a friend, I didn't, you know, do that duty that friends should do. And it really changed my whole outlook on things. So now when I see people and I go, how are you going? And they rattle off this list of all the accomplishments. I'm like, that's great. How are you doing mentally? Can I help you with any of these things? Or just giving them that opportunity to talk about if they're unwell while this is happening. Sometimes it's a, you know, look at all the wonderful things I've done and that's great. But sometimes people like me, People like Lola, we take on things that so that we can feel like we're valued. That we have value, we have things to give. And that's when you go in and go, I love you even if you spend all day in pajamas eating tacos. And the tacos go on your pajamas. And you watch lots of Brooklyn Nine-Nine. I, I'll still love you. Because that's something that Jamie tells me every day. I have days where I just... Having like borderline personality disorder, I'm going to talk about this now because it's important. Some days I feel like uh, I don't want to get out of bed. I don't want to do anything. I don't want to go to a meeting. I barely made it to this meeting. Um, and I just sit there and I stare at a wall and I don't get out of, I mean I've got very pretty pajamas. Uh, but I don't get out of them. And I, when he comes, it's that 30 minutes before Jamie gets home, and I'm like, shit, I've done nothing. I've done nothing. He's going to catastrophize. And he comes in, and I'm like, you look really nice today. I like your pajamas. And I'm like, thank you. I didn't do anything. And he's like, that's good. And then he continues on. And I'm always so worried that he's going to tell me off for not doing a million things, but he's never judged me. And one day I'm like, you know, why do you say that? I did nothing today. And he's like, it doesn't matter if you do nothing for the next 10 years. I'll still love you because I love you. And we need to tell people that they don't need to achieve things to be lovable. You're worthy of love right now. You know, in whatever form you are. You don't need to go do a play. You don't need to do a show in Fringe. Uh, you, you don't need to do things and do amazing things to be valid. My entertainment, um, I guess... Korea. I don't even know if you can call it a career because it's on again, off again, on again, off again. It's like the one relationship that's on again, off again for me. Um, it started when I was five, I think. And my parents would parade me out in front of their friends They'd have these lavish dinner parties. And then they parade me out and be like, you know, sing them that song, you know, in three languages. And I would do that. And people would tell me they love me and they'd clap for me. And as I got older, I came to expect that, that if I do things, people will clap for me. I refer to this phenomena as the five-year-old tap-dancing monkey because the little song I had, I was tap-dancing and doing monkey things. And that little person, that little five-year-old tap-dancing monkey has been part of my life, my performance life this whole time, where I feel like I consistently need to deliver things and, and do shows, and put poetry out, and do burlesque, and do this and that, and it's no longer for me anymore, and it starts making me sick. And then you're like, oh, if I don't do it, will anyone remember who I am? Will anyone remember my legacy? Would I have left a mark? Will people still love me, and it keeps you awake at night, and then you have to go to a therapist, and then you realize one day, why am I doing this to myself? I'm worthy of love right now, in these pajamas, covered in Guzmany Gomez, not sponsored, watching... Madmen at four o'clock in the afternoon, with my cat yelling at me. I'm still worthy of love, and I guess if you're listening to this and you feel like, oh, you know, I should do burlesque because maybe it'll, it'll make me love myself more. Love, self-love, does not come from shakes or potions or an Instagram or a mantra or doing burlesque or dressing a particular way. It has to come when you are completely naked. All right, start with being completely naked. And learning to just accept yourself. Let's not even go as far as love yet because love is cultivated. Love is like bread, right? You have these ingredients and you you knead it, you make a dough, you let it sit for 35 minutes in the refrigerator, you take it out, you put it in the oven, you wait. Love takes time is my point. I'm not just giving you a recipe for bread. Love takes time. (laughs) And Ryan, what happens when you leave bread out? Get style. Exactly. Exactly. Love goes stale too. And that goes for love for yourself. So if you're not every day, you know, kneading it into yourself, I am worthy. I'm I'm making a little kneading thing. I look like a cat. Uh, I am worthy of love today. And you don't tell yourself that every day and put that in the little oven that is your heart and make bread every day. You're going to forget that you love yourself. So you've got to start with yourself. You've got to start with yourself and love yourself on your worst day. On your worst day, when you don't do anything, when you are just in your pajamas slothing around, if you're not worthy of love that day, it doesn't matter how many sequins you stick to a, a piece of cardboard that you stick to your nipple and twirl around, you're not going to love yourself. Love doesn't come from like Swarovski crystals. It doesn't come from wearing a pinup dress, from taking Instagram photos and you put through three applications to make it look acceptable so you don't lose followers. It doesn't come from any of that. It just comes from sitting in your pajamas and going, I'm cool with this. I like that. And look, I found an extra Dorito in my rolls. <laughs> <laughs> what? I've done that before. But There's nothing wrong with that. like right, crumbs. Absolutely. I everyone's done that. I find it in my cleavage. I call it later later but, food. When yeah. it goes on your top, when I you eat it
0: later. When the... I used to have a beard, I used to have this big massive beard and I'd find bits and pieces in
1: that. <laughs> it's for later. It's I find later. food in my cleavage all the time. And I'm like, oh, it's popcorn from the movies oh this is good I can watch it while I wa- eat like, I can eat it while I watch Mad Men but that's the thing you gotta love allow yourself love even when you're not doing anything substantial It's really easy from the comfort of your suburban home to tell people that they can't make art. It's really easy. If it was so easy, everybody would be doing it. I have no love for those people. Everyone who's trying to make art is in the same boat. It's a difficult thing to put yourself out there. Even more so if you've got hindrances, we talked about privilege earlier, even more so if you're lacking privilege, even more so if your story is not mainstream, if you're not the pretty Dita Von Tees burlesque girl, even more difficult if your story like with femme is about uncomfortable topics like sex, sexuality, mental health, where people are like, oh, I don't know if that'll succeed as a fringe show. People go to fringe to forget about their worries. They don't go there to be preached at. I'm like, I'm sorry, having discussions about mental, physical health is preaching now. Sign me up for that That's a church I want to be part of I'm joining the church of femme Because like that's This is important We yes. need to talk about it in art we need, Do you think we'd have half the art we had If people didn't talk about uncomfortable subjects No We wouldn't
0: No And I'll tell you what ladies and gentlemen You can join the church of femme You've got The church is going to be opening this 14th to the 7th of February It's at...
1: not actually a church
0: <laughs> No Um at Paper Mountain, thank you very much, Iskra, for the chat and comrades. Just to repeat that again, you can catch Iskra and many other wonderful, hard working artists uh, as a part of them at Paper Mountain from the 14th to the 17th of July. Tickets at fringeworld.com.au.
1: Thank you for having me, Rant. Thank you for letting me rant. More rants. More rants. Hopefully I might
0: segment this, but um, yeah. Thank you, everyone.